Well, fellowship. We love fellowship at church, don't we? We name our halls after it, the fellowship hall. We name our picnics after it. We have a fellowship picnic. We love fellowship as Christians. And, and we love to share. You ever notice that? Christians don't say anything at church. For some reason, they don't say anything at church. No, they always share. You know, the pastor preaches and they say, thanks for sharing. Someone gives an interpretation of a verse at community group and say, thanks for sharing. Or they, or, they, or they talk, you know, we always share. We don't say anything at church. We love our fellowship and we love our, our sharing. We love to share. But, but do we love koinonia? Do we love koinonia and all that it entails? See, there are words, fellowship and sharing. They come from this very important Greek word, koinonia. Uh, koinonia is uh, is a is a word that that is like a thread that actually holds Paul's letter to the Philippians together. It, like a Wagner light motif, it keeps resurfacing in every chapter. In chapter one, Paul opens his letter and he says that he gives thanks to God. Chapter one, verse five, uh, because of the koinonia, the partnership that they have in the gospel. Uh, then just a verse later in verse 6, he says that they are koinonia, they are partakers with Paul in grace. In chapter 2, Paul reminds them of the koinonia, the participation, the share that they have in the Spirit. In chapter 3, Paul says that his preeminent desire, the thing that he desires all above all else, is to, to koinonia, to share in, to have fellowship with the sufferings of Jesus Christ. And then twice in the passage that was just read, we hear this important word. In chapter 4, verse 15, Paul says that when he left Macedonia, the only church that entered into Koinonia with Paul, into partnership with Paul, was the Philippians. And just a verse before, in verse 14, he says that the Philippians have even koinonia shared in Paul's sufferings. See, koinonia is the thread that holds this letter together. And it's actually at the heart of Paul's vision of community. We love our fellowship and we love to share, but do we love koinonia? Because something tells me, something tells me that, that what Paul's talking about here, well, it's, it's more than picnics and pontification. Koinonia. It's actually at the heart of his vision for community. We've been in a series on the union and communion of the church, church unity. It's a series about community. And what I want to suggest to you this afternoon is that you will never understand Christian community and unity and live it out until you understand this potent concept of koinonia. It's difficult to translate in any one English word. That's why we have so many English words in here that are, that are translating the word. It's difficult to get across in simple in a phrase. But I would, I would say if I was going to define it, the way that I would define koinonia is this. Koinonia is to, to share something in common that connects you in mutual interest and binds you in mutual dependence. Let me say that again. Koinonia is to have a connection, to have something in common with someone that connects you in mutual interest and binds you in mutual dependence. It was used throughout the ancient world, but simply put, 
Koinonia is connection, and in the Christian world, in Paul's letters, koinonia is the connection that Christians have in the gospel. So what I want to do this afternoon is give you four characteristics of koinonia so that you will understand what this means and how to live it out. The first thing that I want you to see is that koinonia is often a tangible connection. Look in verse 10. Paul writes, I rejoiced in the Lord greatly now at length that you have revived your concern for me. Now, what's he talking about when he says revive your concern for me? Well, you have to understand that Paul is writing this letter in response to the fact that Philippians sent a guy named Epaphroditus with a, a gift to Paul. Epaphroditus brings the gift to Paul, and Paul is saying, I'm now so thankful that you have revived your concern for me. When he talks about them reviving their concern, he's talking about this this tangible gift. It's like when we would use, he's talking about their concern, but he's talking about a concern that manifests itself tangibly. It's like when we say, that was so thoughtful of you. We don't mean you were thinking of us. We mean that, but we mean that thinking of us actually manifests itself tangibly. And here, Paul is talking about this gift, these goods that were manifest to him tangibly. In verse 14, he calls it sharing in his trouble or koinoning in his trouble. And this is not the first time that the Philippians have done this. Look at verse 16. He says that this has happened over and over again. He says, even in Thessalonica, you you sent help for my needs once and again. See, the Philippians koinonia with Paul, it manifests itself in the giving of tangible goods to meet Paul's tangible needs. Caring for the needs of other Christians is a tangible expression of koinonia. Well, I've recently been watching this new show, Ted Lasso. Have you seen it? It's one of the only things good about 2020. Uh, 2020 has been pretty bad, except for Ted Lasso. It's an amazing show about this, uh, this American football coach who goes over to England to coach soccer. And the whole thing is premised on the fact that he doesn't know what he's doing. He's going over there, he's naive, he doesn't know anything about soccer, he knows about American football, but it turns out that he knows exactly what he's doing because he realizes that coaching is more about, more about relationships than it is about plays. And one of the ways in which this kind of manifests itself is that, uh, is that his boss, who's actually out to get him because she wants to tank the whole, uh, tank the whole franchise, uh, for reasons that I won't explain. And she is, she is looking for him to fail. He brings her cookies that he bakes on a regular basis. He wraps them up in a box and he brings them to her. And what happens is when he gives these cookies to her, they're not just like cookies that are here, this is nice. It is his way of establishing a bond, a relationship, so that actually what happens, even though he doesn't know this, when she goes and tries to do something, that will be detrimental to him. She has a little more difficult time doing it when she's eating his cookies. Because the cookies remind her of a relationship because they established that bond. Well, in the same way, our gifts that we give to one another to meet one another's needs, they're an expression of a deeper relationship, a connection that we have with one another in the gospel. See, koinonia often will manifest itself in tangibly meeting the needs of others. Like, what does this look like? 
Well, since June, we've been forced to worship outside because of the pandemic. And because we have a downtown location without a parking lot, without any grass, without any land, we needed a place to meet. And so Providence provided this space for us to meet in. They met our need. But then we needed a place to store all this stuff because we usually have storage closets and they're back at our church. So a Christian family in town loaned us a trailer that we could keep our stuff in. But then we needed a place to keep the trailer. And so I called up Bethany Congregational Church, which is close to here, and I said, do you have any space for this? And they actually, uh, they gave us a key and a, and a, and a, 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 to the lock uh, to their parking lot, and they gave us a place to park the trailer. That's koinonia. That's an expression, a tangible expression to meet the need of another that shows our union and communion in the gospel of Jesus Christ. It happens institutionally. It happens interpersonally. So what gifts have God given you and what opportunities to meet the needs of others? That's the question. Just one of these things that I will tell you about that you should know about. We, uh, we just elected uh, to ordain a deacon last week. The ordination service will be in a few weeks. The diaconate is there to protect and express koinonia, and we have a fund called the Deacon's Fund. We give to that fund so that when needs arise, we can meet those needs. It's a way to bind our church together tangibly through koinonia. First, koinonia is often manifest, it often manifests itself in a tangible connection. Second, Christian koinonia also is a mutual connection. Notice in verse 15 that when Paul talks about this partnership, this koinonia, he says that it's one of giving and receiving. Now, here in this letter, at this context, Paul is only going to talk about what he is receiving from the Philippians. But, but don't, don't be confused by that, that immediate context. The reality is, is that Paul believes that koinonia is mutual, that there is giving and there is receiving. It's not simply that the Philippians have gifts to give. They also have needs, and Paul will talk about these needs just a few verses later when he says, my God will supply all of your needs. In Christ Jesus, verse 19. See, we often talk about this, and I want you to get this. God has variously distributed gifts amongst the congregation and amongst his people so that they might meet various needs. And those gifts that meet the various needs, they're actually meant to connect us together. So here's what that means. We all have gifts, and we hear that often, and we often do gift analysis, don't we? But you know what this means? If we all have various gifts that are supposed to connect it to one another, guess what it also means? We also all have various needs. Every single one of us. That God has not only given you gifts, he's given you needs so that you might receive the gifts of others so that he might connect you together. So when are we going to do a needs analysis? When are we going to say, these are my weaknesses? And when are we going to, when we do figure out what our weaknesses are, instead of saying, and now I'm going to do self-improvement and buck it up and become self-sufficient, why don't we rather say, wait, maybe God gave me this need so that it might be met 
by the gifting of one of my fellow believers. See, this connection is mutual. It is mutual. See, we love fellowship and we love sharing. But do we love koinonia and all that koinonia entails? Because koinonia, one thing it'll entail is it will entail making your needs known, being honest about that. It will actually entail vulnerability. Which brings me to the next thing. Christian koinonia is not only a tangible connection oftenly expressed or in a mutual connection, it is often, it is also, sorry, an emotional connection. Look in verse 10 again and look how Paul goes on. He says, I rejoice greatly that now at length you have revived your concern for me. You were indeed concerned for me, but had no opportunity. In other words, Paul was saying, it's like, I am rejoicing that you have given me this gift as an expression of your concern. Not that you weren't concerned before, you just didn't have an opportunity. In other words, he's saying that even when there wasn't a tangible expression of the gift that he had an opportunity to express, the emotional connection, the concern under that was still there. It was still present. You were indeed concerned. So the reviving is just a reviving of the opportunity. And, and, and think about even the way he talks about it. When he says that the, that the Philippians, that they share in his suffering, that they koinonia in his suffering. Why didn't he say that they contribute to his suffering? That they, that they gave him things that, that help him uh, get out of suffering? Or sorry, they share in his trouble. Well, here's why. Because I don't think that the Philippians simply, in a detached way, give something to Paul that helps get him out, out of trouble. I think that when Paul is troubled, they are troubled. They have an emotional connection together. That's why... That's why earlier on when Paul talks about this koinonia and he introduces it in verses in chapter one, verses seven and eight, he says that it's right for him because of this koinonia, because of this partnership to hold the Philippians in his heart. And then he says that he yearns for them with all the affection of Christ Jesus. Paul yearns for them. He feels for them. This is an emotional connection and investment. If you want a good example of this, go to the end of chapter 2. In chapter 2, verses 25 to 30, Paul talks about how when Epaphroditus, when he came to give this gift, what happened was he fell ill on the way. And he was sick. But then he says, get this, that Epaphroditus, when he became sick, then he got distressed. He was distressed because the Philippians heard about him being sick. And he knew how upset they would be over it. And he's like, they're worrying about my sickness. And then he's distressed. And then Paul says that, that when God spared Epaphroditus, guess what? He also spared Paul. Sorrow upon sorrow. That's depression, folks. He says, I would have been undone if Epaphroditus would have died. And then Paul says that he longs for Epaphroditus to go back to the Philippians so that they can reunite, and that will relieve Paul of his anxiety because he is so emotionally invested in the Philippians' emotions. This is emotional investment at a deep level. At a deep level. 
Koinonia entails emotional investment. When Pam and I were dating, we went to see this movie. as a Clint Eastwood film. He was like the best. Not as an actor, as a, as a director. And Clint Eastwood, I mean, he, he's a fine actor too. But it was Million Dollar Baby, right? Hilary Swank. And it's about uh, this female boxer. And there's this point in the film where she takes a shot to the face. And when she takes a shot to the face, all of a sudden I start getting like squirmy and then I start getting queasy. And then Pam looks at me and I am white. And I know what you're thinking. Yes, I can get whiter than this. I am white. And then Pam's like, do you need some water or something? And I'm like, yeah, I think that would be good. So she gets up and goes and gets water. When she comes back, I kid you not, she doesn't, she can't find me in my seat because I'm not in my seat. I was feeling so bad that I got on the ground and I crawled down the aisle and I was laying in the floor. Okay. I mean, I was so emotionally invested in Hillary Swank's character that I felt what she felt. And I'm not sure why Pam kept going on with the relationship now that I think about it, but she did. She did. That's the kind of an emotional investment that Koinonia calls for, not with characters on a screen, but with Christians in the congregation, with your fellow Christians. So here's my question for you. Are you emotionally invested in the lives of other Christians, of your fellow believers, especially in the congregation? Or have you built up walls to protect yourself? Because koinonia, it entails an emotional connection. See, we love fellowship and we love sharing. But do we love koinonia and all that it entails? Are we willing to make ourselves this vulnerable, emotionally vulnerable? Are we willing to accept the vulnerability that koinonia entails? See, if, if koinonia is a financial, emotional, mutual investment and connection, then here's what it means. It means that the way that we have often understood Philippians 4, 11 through 13 is probably not correct. I'm just going to say it. it's not correct. These are very famous verses that Paul says. He writes in Philippians 4, 11 through 13, right in the middle of this passage, for I've learned in whatever situation, you've heard this before, in whatever situation I am to be content. I know how to be brought low and I know how to abound in any and every circumstance. I've learned the secret of placing, of facing plenty and hunger, abundance and need. I can do all things through him who strengthens me. Well, we know this verse. We've read these verses. We put them up on our wall. And here's how we often interpret them. If you have Jesus, if you have God, if you have a relationship with him, then you can face any circumstance and it doesn't matter. In fact, you will be unfazed because you are self-sufficient. In other words, we interpret it like some form of Christian stoicism or Buddhism. But I just want to remind you that Paul has already said in this letter that he is not content in every circumstance. If Epaphroditus would have died, he would have had sorrow upon sorrow and he would have not been content. 
If Epaphroditus hadn't returned to the Philippians, he would have had anxiety and he would have not been content. Paul says in chapter 2, verse 1, if there's any participation, koinonia in the spirit, then complete my joy, make my joy complete by being united, by living in unity. In other words, if the Philippians didn't go on and live in unity, he's saying, my joy would not be full. Paul makes his own joy supply, his own emotional state, contingent upon the action of others. Now, that's radical because most of us preachers, I've done it. We, we say, and I realize what we're trying to do. We're trying to attack idolatries and say, don't make another person or thing or relationship an idol. And that's all true. But the reality is, is that koinonia entails a vulnerability that means that, that your state is contingent upon others in the Christian community and their actions. What Paul means here, what Paul means is not that he is content in any and every circumstance. What he means is that he is content in any and every material and financial circumstance. See, Paul is indifferent to the sharing or the non-sharing of goods, but Paul is not indifferent to koinonia. He can't live without it. He cannot live without it. What about you? See, we love fellowship and we love sharing, but do we love koinonia and all that koinonia entails? So I think one of the big differences between what we talk about when we talk about church fellowship often and koinonia is simply this, that often what we call church fellowship does not require financial, emotional investments that make us vulnerable. You can go to a Wednesday night dinner without being financially dependent upon others, invested in others. You can go to a Wednesday night dinner without being vulnerable in any way, shape, or form. You can also go to a Wednesday night dinner and have all of those things. So I'm not saying that a Wednesday night dinner might not be koinonia, but it's not in koinonia until it entails all those things. You see, we have to stop living self-sufficient Christian lives. And we have to understand that mutual dependence is God's vision for the Christian community. So my question for you, are you dependent on others, other Christians in this community and others and elsewhere? And are they dependent on you? You know, this pandemic has revealed a lot of things. I think one of the things that it's revealed is how much we feel invested and other Christians' lives, and them and us. What happened when the pandemic hit? Did we think, well, I'll be all right on my own, and I'll hunker down, or do we feel invested in other Christians' lives, and them and us, and that we needed to connect? Because they depend on us, and because we depend on them. If that's what you felt, then that is koinonia. Rejoice in it. Cherish it. Why? I mean, that is a good question. Why would we want this? I mean, why would you even want this kind of connection? Why would you want to make yourself vulnerable like this to others' actions and circumstances? I mean, why would you pursue this? Well, that brings me to my last point. That koinonia is, above all else, theological. 
I'll try to explain what I mean by that by just noting a simple curiosity in the text. Paul talks about the Philippians' gift throughout this letter. He never thanks them. Isn't that rude? Why doesn't Paul thank the Philippians? Well, look at verses 17 and 18, and let's see if we can answer it. He says, not that I seek the gift, but I seek the fruit that increases to your credit. I have received full payment and more. I am well supplied, having received from Epaphroditus the gifts that you sent, a fragrant offering, a sacrifice acceptable and pleasing to God. And then he says in verse 19, and my God will supply every need of yours according to his riches and glory in Christ Jesus. To our God and Father, be glory forever and ever. Amen. See, here's the question. When the Philippians give this gift, who are they giving it to? Ultimately. Paul says that it's a sacrifice, a fragrant offering to God. Here's another question. When, when Paul goes on to talk about how, how the Philippians will have needs, maybe now, maybe in the future, and that God will meet those needs, how is God going to meet those needs in Christ Jesus? I bet it's the same way that he met Paul's needs once and again through other believers. And when Paul says, I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me, how does Christ strengthen Paul? Well, just read his letters over and over and over again, and you'll see how God in Christ strengthens Paul through the prayers and encouragement and gifts of others and actions and obedience of other saints. That's how he does it. See, I'm going to suggest something to us that really, really conflicts with our modern Western understanding of the Christian life. And for some of you, this is not going to sit well, and I'm okay with that. And you're not going to like what I say, and you're going to reject it, and I'm okay with that. But I bet it's going to sit with you, and you're going to have to wrestle with it. So I'm going to say it anyway, and I believe it's true. And here's what it is. Much of our relationship with God, much of our relationship with God is mediated through the Christian community, through other believers. Much of the ways in which God shows you his love is through other believers showing you his love. Much of the ways in which God shows you his acceptance and his justification of you is through how other believers treat you and accept you in spite of your sin. Much of the ways in which God meets your needs is through you receiving the gifts of other Christians. This is actually how God mediates his presence to us in a large measure. It's in and through the Christian community. And that's why you can't treat church like a purveyor of goods and services that you pop in and out of like Costco or Walmart. It doesn't work like that. See, Koinonia establishes this theological connection. God is saying, I'm going to have a relationship with you, and the way that I'm going to do it is I'm going to meet your need through a gift by giving a gift to somebody else, and it's going to go through them to you. And then you give thanks back to God, and you're connected with him. 
through this circle, but you're also connected with a fellow believer. And then you're going to have gifts that you give back to him that God has given you. And you give those gifts back to them. And then those gifts are a fragrant offering to God and they give thanks to God. And you see what happens is God binds us not just between one and uh, us and God directly, but us through one another directly so that we become a communion of saints together. And we are taken up into the community of the Trinity. That's the beauty of God's design. And when you get this, it means a couple things. I'll just It means a lot of things, but I'll just say a few. First thing it means is it means that you won't see the church as an optional part of the Christian life. If one of the primary ways that God mediates his relationship with you is in and through other believers and in and through the community of the saints. It means church is a necessity. Second, it means that, that you will think twice before you reject the gifts of other believers. Because when you reject the gift from another believer, how do you know that that isn't actually God giving you a gift that you're rejecting? And, and when you reject another, a gift of another believer, how do you know that, that you aren't actually keeping them from offering a fragrant offering to God? This, the Philippians gift, is a fragrant offering, a sacrifice pleasing to God. Paul says, not that I seek the gift, but I, I seek, I seek the credit to your account. I seek, I seek the eternal, inve eternal investment that you are making through giving this gift, and I want that for you. I'm not so concerned about my physical needs. I'm not concerned about my material needs, but I am concerned about your eternal state. So I'll take the gift and I'll seek the gift, which brings us to the next thing. It means that you will, you will more quickly give gifts to fellow believers because you realize that in giving gifts to fellow believers, you are serving and giving gifts to God. And it also means that you will more boldly make your needs known to fellow believers. Because you realize that in making those needs known, you're providing them with an opportunity to invest in their heavenly bank account. Some of you raise support. We've got some RUF folks over there. Others of you raise support. Support raising, don't be bashful about it. Paul is not bashful. Don't you ever be bashful about support raising. Not that I seek the gift. You don't seek the gift. You seek you seek their eternal reward. You seek the koinonia that happens through them giving that gift, the partnership and the relationship that has developed, not only between them and you, but between them, you, and the triune God. Don't ever be bashful about coming to the deacon's fund. God is providing an opportunity for koinonia. Don't ever be bashful about making your needs known to your fellow believers and asking and providing an opportunity. This is what God is doing in the koinonia of the church. And you know why we need this? Because it's the only way to be human. And it's the only way to be human in relationship with God and with one another as he's made us to be. Are there risks? Yes. Tons. But let me tell you this. There are risks the other way as well. And the rewards this way, they far surpass the risk. To God be the glory. 
Amen.